As always, it's so good to be with you, and boy, I hope you're enjoying this beautiful fall weather. Isn't it nice? Yes, it's really good, isn't it? And to see all of you here, I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, it really feels like pre-COVID times. I'm really, really excited about that. We're, we're people of community. I know we have, to, we have to be responsible, but it's great when things open and up, up and up that we can gather back together again. We, we love to be people of community. We're family. That's why we're called brothers and sisters in Christ. God, our Father, and we are his children. Well, the inspiration for today's homily, homily comes out of the powerful Sunday readings from the book of Hebrews. Seven readings, as a matter of fact, we've got a couple more to go. And it also comes from the question of one of our fourth graders that they posed to their teacher recently, of which she scuttled over to my office and said, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say on this? You know, they can ask some questions. They can ask, them, well, you know that. They can ask some really good questions. Would you like to know what the question was? Okay, let's get it here. Here it is. If the body and blood of Jesus are real flesh and blood, then wouldn't consuming them be cannibalism? Okay, uh, that's the question. But you know, I bet most of us have thought about that. I'm sure that we've wondered about that as we think about real presence, as we think about the body and blood of Jesus, uh, things like that. I must say to you that regrettably, belief in the body, the blood, the soul, and divinity of Jesus in the Eucharist is in a state of decline today. Uh, survey after survey tells us this. It says fewer than half, less than half of all Catholics believe that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. And yet, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the church. Uh, there's a real disconnect there. Uh, I suppose that's why that inquiring minds have also asked other questions on the Eucharist, since uh, such as these. Here's a good one I hear a lot. If the Eucharist is truly Jesus, then why do people say the Mass is boring? Now, you don't think Mass is boring, do you? No. Why is that? Uh, here's another one. If everyone is going to heaven, then is the Eucharist all that important to helping me cross the finish line? That's another one that I get quite often. Well, since this matter has eternal ramifications, I mean, it, it truly does have eternal destiny associated with, associated with it, I think it's important that we continue on with the scientific reasoning methodology to remember this that deductions that are drawn from observations are sometimes faulty. They lead to faulty conclusions. And what you have to do is you have to test them. You have to test them in order to authenticate or validate them as for their reality. Isn't that the way it works? Well, yes. So for Catholics, we test the validity of our observations in two ways. First of all, by turning to the authority of the inspired Holy Scriptures. And the second is to turn to the rich tradition of the church. And that's what we're going to do right now. I suppose that the foremost authority on the Eucharist is the great doctor of the church named St. Thomas Aquinas. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, he's, he's something else. 
uh, he, he, St. Thomas was the one who wrote the treatise on the Eucharist. He wrote this big uh, work on the Eucharist. And it's interesting because after he completes the work, St. Thomas goes to the chapel to pray. And as he's praying, the other monks begin to witness things about Brother Thomas. Now, the first thing they see about him is something that's not unusual. Now, we think, wow, that's pretty unusual. But it wasn't to them because they'd seen him do it so many times. What was he doing? He was levitating. Uh, he was floating in midair as he prayed. That's not unusual at all uh, for, for the saints to be doing that. But that wasn't really what caught their eye about St. Thomas. What caught their eye was that the crucifix on the altar was speaking to Thomas. And it said this. Here we have the words of Jesus. Thomas, you have written well of me. What reward will you have? What reward will you have? Uh, and what does he say? Anybody know? Nothing but you, Lord. That's all I want. You know, if we just lived that, we would be the happiest people in the world, in this world, and the world would be a better place. Nothing but you. That's all I want, Lord. That's plenty enough reward for me. But, uh, you know, that's quite an impressive affirmation if you were to put that on your resume. Jesus spoke to me in the chapel one night through the crucifix, you know. You'd, you'd think, well, that's pretty important, is it? At the time, as he began to read some of St. Thomas's work, he says, you know, that is profound. And so what I need to do, I'm going to ask him, because we just have decided now that we're going to celebrate every year what's called the Feast of the Body and Blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we celebrate that every year. That started in 1264. He said, I'm going to ask him to write the Mass. Uh, he has such a, he's so in touch with the Eucharist. And then he says, I'm going to ask him to write some songs to go with the Eucharistic Mass as well. And from that, there was a bank of hymns that St. Thomas wrote. And here's two of them. See if you recognize them. O salutaris hostia, or ta and also tantum ergo. Those are two of the great hymns, the Eucharistic hymns, which whenever we do adoration and things, we always sing those or, or repeat those. Well, here's an authority, uh, you know. And it's, now let's fast forward 300 years. We go 300 years forward at the advent of what's called the Protestant Reformation. And it is at that time that the church gathers together, the bishops of the church, to reaffirm the position of the church on the real presence of Jesus. This is called the Council of Trent. And I want you to read, I want you to hear what they summarize. Here's what it says. If anyone says that in the sacred and the holy sacrament of the Eucharist there remains the substance of bread and wine together with the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and denies that wonderful and that singular conversion of the whole substance, which is fittingly called, here's a big word, transubstantiation, you've heard that word, haven't you? Let them be anathema. That's what the church says. Now I'm gonna let you go home and look up anathema if you haven't figured that out, but it's a, it's a really intense word. But what the church is doing is they are emphatically uh, affirming 
the reality of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is what they're doing. Now let's fast forward to another 400 years. We've left Trent, and now we go to what's called Vatican II. You've heard of Vatican II, haven't you? Well, uh, they wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to reaffirm the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And so they, be they begin to word it in what is called the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. Now, they did tone down the words. Anathema, like I said, is a really powerful word. But they kept the emphasis the same. I want you to listen to what the, the bishops wrote 400 years later. At the Last Supper, our Savior instituted the sacrifice of his body and blood. This he did in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross through the ages, and here's a key word, until he comes again. Until he comes again. The Eucharist, the church affirms, is a sacrament of love, a sign of unity, a paschal banquet in which Christ is consumed, the mind is filled with grace, and the pledge of future glory is given to us. So I think if you want to validate through the scriptures and the holy tradition of the church the reality of the real presence of Jesus, I think you have that. You have that before you. And there's two things that are real important now if we, if we go along in our sense of logic. If you want to remember, if you want to develop a sensical, what you might call a logical, but also a faith-filled response to the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Two things you need to remember. First of all, for good reason, the Eucharist is to be repeated over and over, meaning perpetuated until Jesus returns for us. Now that's important. That's extremely important. You're going to find out why in just a second. If you remember on Good Friday, it was on the cross at Calvary that Jesus sacrificed his life for your sins and mine in order that we might be restored to God. We call that the bloody manner of his sacrifice because it was his blood that was being spilled out on the ground for you and for I. But it was on the night before Good Friday, which we call Holy Thursday, that Jesus instituted the sacrament, the sacrament of his most precious body and blood, meaning that it is the real presence of Jesus, but not in a bloody manner. It's called the unbloody manner. Now, why did Jesus do that? Well, Jesus had a reason for doing it, and a very important reason. We need the Eucharist. That's why. Jesus gives himself to us in the Eucharist in an unbloody form as spiritual nourishment so that we can make it to heaven where our salvation will be complete. Now, this is really important to tell you. Uh, salvation in the mind of the Catholic and the belief of the church is not complete until you get to heaven. That's when it's complete. That's what Paul writes in the letter to the Hebrews today. He says it precisely. He says, until he comes again, our salvation is not complete. Now, that's very different from a Protestant approbation or understanding of salvation. 
To them, it is once saved, always saved. We don't believe that. We do not believe that. We believe you don't make it until you get to heaven. So what that means is, if you want to get from point A, where you are today, to point B, which is to walk through the pearly gates of heaven, you need grace. You need the grace. We call those the sacraments. You need the graces of God in order to get there. It's hard to get through this life. Is it hard for you to get through this life or is it easy? It's hard, isn't it? And we need grace. We need all the grace we can get to be able to get through, get through this life in order to make it to heaven, to cross that finish line, as Paul said. And so it's really important to realize that it is Jesus in the Eucharist. You know, I was thinking about, as I thought about that, I thought, well, it is Jesus. It has to be Jesus because how silly. I mean, think about it. how silly we would look to the world if we came here every day. We have mass here every day, and we, and we also adore the adoration. If we came here every day to venerate and adore bread and wine, could you imagine that? Here, all that, all that we go through, all the ritual we'll go through here in a minute in the liturgy of the Eucharist, if we were sitting here adoring bread and wine, I'd say, well, they, pretty, they are crazy. You know, they are crazy. Uh, but it's not bread and wine. When it is consecrated, it becomes the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Jesus Christ. I can't but help think of the words of Mary Magdalene on the morning of Jesus' resurrection when she runs to the disciples and she says to them, it's him. It's, he, it's not a ghost. It's him. I've seen him. And when we stand before this table and we see those, the real presence of Jesus in the consecration of the bread and the wine, we can say, it's him. I've seen him. See, in, G, in the Eucharist, we see and experience the real presence of Jesus. Why? Because we need Jesus. We don't need, a, we don't need bread and wine. We need Jesus in order to get us through this life and make it across the finish line. Um, but people say, oh, but that's magic. Well, what about the Old Testament reading today? What do you think of that? You know, the, the widow has enough bread and flour, uh, flour and oil in the jugs for one more one more cooking, and then they were going to die from starvation. What did Elijah say? He said, the word of the Lord has spoken. You're going to dip into that jug, and there's nothing in there that you know of. You're going to dip in that jug for a year, and out's going to come flour, out's going to come oil, and you're going to have bread to eat. Now think about that. You believe that? You believe that happened? Well, I like what St. Ambrose said as we think about the Eucharist and the great transformation that takes place during the Eucharist. He said, if the word of the Lord Jesus is so powerful as to bring into existence, like we heard in the story, things which were not, then why should we be surprised that those things which already exist can be changed into something else? Well, they can. They are. 
just at the word of God. So that's why Jesus instituted the Eucharist, because we need it in order to cross the finish line at heaven, in heaven. As a matter of fact, all of the sacraments. And that leads to the second point. God has infinitely more in store for us when we get to heaven. Now this point doesn't diminish the sacraments. Some people might think it does, but actually it elevates them, to me, it elevates them even to a greater sense of priority in receiving them in our lives. And what is this? See, what are the purpose of the sacraments? Well, the purpose of the sacraments are to get us to heaven, the graces that we need to do that. And uh, so what happens is Jesus instituted those sacraments in order that we can make it to the to the finish line in life. And then here's what happens. When Jesus returns for us at his second coming, isn't that what we heard Paul say in the letter today? At his second coming, he comes, and he comes in order to perfect our salvation. When he comes, it says, our bodies will be gloriously resurrected. Our souls that have been in heaven will go to meet our gloriously resurrected bodies in the air, and then we will go to be with Jesus, for he has prepared a place for us where we will live with him forever and ever. Think about that. That's powerful. That's extremely powerful. And it's when that takes place, life as we know it is over. It's finished. It'll never be the same. It's done but it'll be a better life. That's the thing that I like. God always has more. God is the God of more. That's true. But here's the interesting thing about that. Those precious jewels of the church, which we call the sacraments, of which the church tells us that without receiving them, we would be in a state of perilous danger as we go through this life. They will not, because they have been fulfilled, their purpose has been completed and all have made it to the finish line that are going to make it, the sacraments are no longer needed in their present form. Now, God will be all in all, all in all. Now, that doesn't diminish the sacraments. What it does is it makes them more of a priority because we realize Jesus gave them to us here because we need them. Think about it. Jesus himself said there's no marriage in heaven. No marriage in heaven. Why? Because preservation is no longer necessary. We don't have to reproduce, so to speak, the species. What does Paul affirm? Death is vanquished and we live forever. There's no marriage in heaven. And, you know, if there ever was an affirmation of one of the primary purposes of marriage on earth today, this would be it. You know, our culture is so caught up in the other purpose of marriage today, and they forget that one of the primary reasons, and because uh, you don't need it in heaven anymore, marriage goes away, it has to do with children. It has to do with children. So you can see why the church is ferocious when it comes to its statement on understanding marriage and the family. This is why. This is exactly why. Uh, there's no baptism, there's no confirmation in heaven because there's no more children to be born. There's no children. 
uh, there's no reconciliation. It, you know, that sacrament's no longer necessary in heaven. Why? Because we're, we, we don't sin anymore. All the lingering effects of sin have gone away. What about anointing? Well, there's no anointing. Why? Well, John tells us in Revelation 21, he says there's no more sickness, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more tears to wipe away from your eyes. Why do you need to be healed if you're already healed, see? Do you see what the Lord is doing for us? And as for the Eucharist, it's no longer needed in its present form because Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us wholly. Jesus is with us completely. And then there's no holy orders. Why? There's no sacraments. You know, Jesus instituted the priesthood when he instituted the sacrament of the Eucharist. Those things are gone away. But what happens is beautiful. See, when he returns, when he breaks through that sky, the Jesus who's called the bridegroom, he will take us, the church, the church triumphant, and we will go to be with him forever. Forever. And there will be the great celebration. Now, it's not an anticipation as we anticipate it now, but it is a great celebration. The marriage feast has begun, and we are married, the church. And Jesus finally bring to completion. That's what she started when he came here on earth. Isn't that beautiful? Man, that's how important the sacraments are for today, receiving the sacraments. Um, but here's the problem. The sacraments lose so much of their meaning and significance when we adopt the belief, and it's a popular cultural belief, that it's a piece of cake for anybody to enter through the pearly gates. It's a piece of cake. Um, now, I'm not the judge of who will, and I'm not the judge of who won't, and I would not be the one to be the judge of that. The only one that's worthy of that is Jesus because he's impartial. Uh, but I can tell you this, and it does pain me that the th at the thought of one soul being lost and not making it to heaven. But I can confirm to you this morning, I affirm to you this morning, that on the authority of Jesus, not everybody is going to go to heaven. I hate to tell you that. I hate to tell you that. But not everybody is going to make it to heaven. Uh, it's not that easy. That's why we need the sacraments. What did Jesus say? He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's just one of many places where he says it. So we have to realize that today, the great sacraments, especially the crown jewel, which is set right in the middle of the ring. You know, you've seen those big diamond rings. They have the solitaire, you've got all these little diamonds around it. Well, that big one's the Eucharist. That's the source and summit of the church. Uh, these are very important today. We have to receive them if we want to make it to the finish line, and I know you do. So a couple of thoughts for reflection. Jesus said that whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He said that, didn't he? And he says, I'll raise him up on the last day. My dear brothers and sisters, with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, 
believe today in the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Jesus in the Eucharist. That is his love for you. And the second thing is this. Let your outward participation in the Mass reflect your beautiful belief in the Eucharist. It's not bread and wine. It's him. It's him. And now, my dear friends, it is with the greatest of joy that I invite 